Good morning, afternoon, or evening, whenever you're listening to this podcast. I'm Teresa. I'm Scott. We're here for our first ever podcast related to one of Scott's messages. That's right. Our first ever in the new series. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. New format. The reboot. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of excited to be the one that's uh, talking to you today rather than having to remember what I taught about the weekend before. So thanks for joining. Yeah, in this format, it's more like uh, interrogating than uh, delivering a message. You know, I, f- asking, I feel like it, I feel like it plays to my strength. Asking all of the hard-hitting questions about the details of the messages. Yes, and you have to tell the truth, right? So yeah. There you go. And you said this plays to your strengths. I think so because I think interrogating is one of my strengths. Oh, okay. I thought you meant you know being on the on the receiving end of them as you have been. No, no, no. I, I, I'm the interrogator. I'm the enforcer. Yeah, yeah I didn't think truth-telling was uh, was one of your strengths. No. no I mean, never... <laughs> never. Uh, You're a Jones. Never let a fact get in the way of a better story. That's right. Uh, so I want to start off with sort of a personal question for you, since I'm in charge and I get to do whatever I want. Okay. Okay, so here's my question. That message you delivered last weekend felt really different than any message you've ever given before. Did you intend for that to be the case? Tell me about how this message came together. Um, Different how? Well, I just... uh, There were several several things. You sat down rather than standing. Mm -hmm. Um... You did a different kind of intro. You're kind of personal about the fact that you were getting ready to go on a rant. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I felt like you were really clear about the point you were trying to drive home. And that, and maybe I'm wrong. I mean, maybe you, your feet were tired or something or you hadn't had enough sleep. But my experience as a listener was that you were intent on... Coming, bringing to us a message that felt very personal to you that you were trying not to be emotional about. Yes, that's true. Um, you know, there's several factors. I am tired. Our baby is continuing to cut teeth, and we've had another really, really rough week of sleep. But that's yeah, that's not really why I sat down. I, I did sit down because. I sat down because I was nervous. Um, I felt very strongly about it. Sitting down, I felt was going to help me stay calmer and less ranty when I felt like I had the capacity to turn it into a rant. And I don't think it ended up coming across as a rant, but no, I, I, feared, I feared that it would. Um, it was actually kind of funny. On Saturday night, I grabbed the wrong stool and it was too short. So I sat down and I looked like a... a I looked way too short at the podium, let's just say. I was wondering what you were going to say uh-huh. about that. <laughs> <laughs> and so then they asked, if, since we had voted on the chairs in the service the week before, they asked if they could vote on which stool that I, I used. So that was they funny. did in class last night. Yeah. I asked him, I said, did he sit down on Saturday night? Because, you know, we had the Wilson wedding, so I wasn't there. Right. And they were like, yeah, on a really short stool. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I quickly, I quickly abandoned that. Um, but yeah, I think I did feel really uh, emotional and really passionate uh, about it. And it was, uh, I, I needed, I, you know, in my own mind, I needed to find ways to, to try to 
be conversational with it because I knew it was not going to be a super interactive message. I, uh, I, uh, the way I normally write a, a message is um, I write down some bullet points, um, and some of them are more, um, some of them are in more complete paragraphs and sentences than others. So usually I have you know a handful of uh, sentences that I want to get to about a, a given passage, um, and then I, I usually write out my conclusions. Uh, but this one was pretty much written from start to finish, for the most part. And um, so, yeah, so part of it was different. I knew the, the format was different, and then I, I wanted, you know, I tried to find some ways to hopefully keep it interesting and non-ranty and, and that kind of thing. But I, I think the the, the real question, um, or the, the real answer to your question is, you know, I have... Um, y- you know, I, I mean, I, I hesitate to bring this up because I know people are tired of hearing about it and tired of talking about it. But, you know, our political situation has been so problematic um, and so um, disheartening for mm-hmm. everybody. Right. For everybody. Nobody's, Across the board. Yeah, nobody's happy about Nobody's happy about this. Right. And... <clears throat> I have pretty much avoided talking about it in the messages on purpose because I felt like I didn't have a perspective. Um, I didn't have anything to say. I felt like that over the last number, several years, I felt like I didn't have anything to say that was going to offer a uniquely faithful take on what was going on. Mm -hmm. You know, I had, you know, I have my own personal ideology and I have thoughts about what's going on and what's wrong and how to change it, as everybody does. Mm -hmm. But I feel like if I'm giving a message, it has to be, it has to uniquely direct the conversation towards God's way of seeing things. Right. And I just didn't feel like, you know, for for the last several years, I felt like I don't have that. I don't have a sense of what that is. And if I don't have a sense of what it is, then I'm not going to try to take a, I'm not going to try to take a stand. If I don't feel like I have some idea of what the faithful stand is, I'm much better off waiting. I tried to take a long view of things. So my next question is, you clearly took a stand in this message, uh, a stand that I think was for us, you know, basically, if I were summar- summar- summarizing it, is love your friends um, and don't let people you don't even know draw- drive a wedge between you. Um, yeah. You had other stuff in there that was also really good, but that was the thing that was very impactful to me personally. So um, what came first? The vision for an inspired way of seeing or the scripture passage that you chose? Um, The scripture passage in this case. It's not Mm -hmm. always the case, but Mm -hmm. um, I actually, uh, I've been reading a book um, that's actually overstating it. I read one sermon in a book of sermons by a guy named, you know, I thought it was on my desk here where I'm sitting. I think, I think H.A. Williams, I think, I think he goes by Harry, Harry Williams. Okay. He's passed on. 
Um, I don't know much about him actually, so I, I can't I can't tell you who he is or what he did. I just know that somebody sent me this book a while back, and it sat on my shelf. And um, I just the title of the sermon was "What Does It Profit a Man to Gain the Whole World and Lose His Soul?" And um, that quote is uh, from Jesus, and it comes up in several places. And he actually used the Luke version of the passage. I used the Mark version of the passage. I had reasons for doing that that I can go into if if you want. But um, that's what came first. And that quote, that's always been... Um, when it's taken by itself like that, it sounds very enigmatic on Jesus's part. It sounds kind of elusive. Um, in the context of the passage, it's very clear, I think. And it's always been one of the most powerful, hard-hitting kinds of passages to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had kind of forgotten about it a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. or at least it had drifted to the back of my mind. And just seeing those words and, and the, the message that he gave was, based on those words, was very different than the one that I did, but it, it, it at least got, it stirred something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell us more about the passage itself. What's so clear about it? So the passage, um, the in particular, uh, the Mark version of the passage is the version where Jesus starts telling his disciples that he's uh, going to suffer many things and then he's going to die. And then Peter jumps in and he starts chastising Jesus, I believe is the word that it used in the translation that we looked at this weekend. And Jesus says, uh, you know, they're having this back and forth, and I'm summarizing, but he, he says, get behind me, Satan. Yeah, real subtle. Yeah. Yeah, Jesus kind of oscillates between um, so subtle you don't have any clue what he's talking about, and so harsh you're like, man, somebody woke up on the wrong Once. side of the blanket or yeah. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I guess he was having a rough one. And, um, or maybe a better way to say it is the topic at hand was so important. Right. You know? He basically ranted. Yeah. He That's was, a rant that right was, there. That was a mini rant. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we emphasize the fuzzy side of Jesus, but he was not, uh, not totally unwilling to lay down the law. Right. Right. When it, when the moment requires it. And so I suppose this moment required it. Mm-hmm. And tell me more about the passage. What what did, what did you take away from it? I know that you said you did something different with it than Harry did, but yeah. Well, okay. So I guess maybe maybe to um, to explain why the moment required it then is to say that um, the reason I would think that Peter was chastising Jesus is because Jesus is this leader. And yeah. to Peter, he is who God's people have hoped for. Right. Jesus is, is and, and, and Peter at this point in the story is kind of going back and forth on whether or not he fully understands who Jesus is. And clearly at this point is still not quite getting all of the implications of Jesus, even though he's recognizing that Jesus is really important. But he's this leader. People have been hoping for a leader. They've been hoping for a savior, a Messiah. And... Leaders are supposed to lead, and they're supposed to be strong, and they're supposed to be powerful. They're supposed to win. They're supposed to win. They battle. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And they come out on the winning side of battles. Yep. Um, what else would we say? You know. Yeah, I mean, you definitely. Uh, well, can I go off topic for just a second? Sure. I don't see why not. So uh, a while back, I wrote a book with somebody. Mm-hmm. And um, there were parts about the book that I really did not like. Yeah. It wasn't the book I wrote with you. <laughs> and uh, just FYI, although I do think we need to rewrite that book too, but that's a whole other subject. Sure. I don't think we should write books. I think we should write little papers that we keep editing. But Pamphlet, anyway, pamphlets. We, we can't seem to get all all of it down the way we want it the first 12 times. But anyway, so I was sitting with a group of people and they were like, hey, man, your book came out. I was like, yeah, it did. How do you feel about it? And I told the truth. Mm-hmm. I said, there's some parts I really like and there's some parts I wish I had done differently. And, you know, um, I'd kind of like to have another go at it, frankly. Yep. And I got chastised. And the person on the other side of the conversation said, um, if you don't like your own book with complete abandon, how are you going to convince anybody else to read the book? And so I was chastised for not being the kind of... Marketing person. Author I needed to be, which would be completely enthusiastic. Right. right? Mm -hmm. And I thought, no, <laughs> I'm not going to lie just to sell a couple more books, you know. I didn't write a book to convince people to read something that I've written. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I didn't think I was saying anything particularly negative. I mean, like, I'd like to find the person who's ever written a book that at the end, if they're telling you the truth, is happy about it. Yeah, I yeah okay that's a whole that's a whole other thing. But anyway, I think that getting back to your point, I think there's there is a burdensome mythology about being a person who accomplishes anything or leads in any way that that doubles down the the burden of doing and leading because there is this idea out there that you're supposed to be happy with how you're leading um, and what you're doing, and you're supposed to be pumping up the troops. Yeah, and you're pumping up the troops because you're assuming that they need to access their strength, and by accessing their strength, they're going to be victorious. Right. You know, and these are the kinds of expectations that Jesus is walking into. He's walking into the expectations of being the leader who's going to fire up the troops, who's going to dominate, you know, uh, their oppressors into submission. Yeah. Right? I mean, like, they're they're under Roman rule, and nobody's particularly happy about that, and Jesus is supposed to fix that. Yeah. Right? And um, Jesus chastises Peter because that's not the kind of leader he is, and that's not really his goal. And, and uh, while it would have been a really big accomplishment for them to overthrow Roman rule, his sight is on something really quite much larger than that. Um, and that's sort of the dynamic that's at play in the passage, is Jesus doesn't understand Jesus' view of strength and Jesus' view of power. You mean Peter. You said Jesus doesn't understand Jesus' view. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus is so conflicted, he doesn't understand himself. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah, you're right. Uh, Peter doesn't understand 
the heart of what Jesus has come to do. That Jesus' primary mission is to reconcile all of creation, which people are included in, to God himself, is actually a much bigger vision than overthrowing the Romans, even though nothing could seem larger. Right, right. And that the way that this is done is to actually do the opposite of what people think of as being strong and powerful, which is to completely give himself up. And by giving himself up and allowing himself to suffer and die and to embrace the suffering is going to be part of the mechanism that allows all people to be uh, to become part of God's people, to be drawn in um, in new ways, uh, shows a, a completely different understanding of, of power and strength. And Peter does not get that at this point in the story. And he, he later does, but at this point he doesn't get it. And so that's why it's so important. Jesus is saying you are fundamentally misunderstanding what I'm here for. And tell me about how you tied that to what you talked about this weekend with the message. Well, I think that people have always misunderstood power. Yeah. I mean, I think you look at that passage and it's like several thousand years old. Right. And yet the problem that Peter had wasn't even new. Right. So we're talking about a lot of history of getting wrong God's view of power and strength. Right. And Peter was still abiding by this idea that power was about manipulating other people or dominating other people in order to get your way. And we've always got that wrong. This is so funny because I was having a conversation uh, with someone you and I are both very close to. And um, he was talking about the fact that... um, uh, it was convoluted conversation, and I can't get into all of it, but I can say this, that he was talking about the fact that um, he felt like that our faith experience was, whether he agreed with our faith beliefs or not, but that our faith experience offered us things that he didn't have. Okay. Um, maybe disagreeing with a lot of it, but still the presumption was that it would offer us something that someone who didn't have a faith experience um, wouldn't have access to. And um, that started a whole follow-up conversation about what do you think my faith experience is doing for me? Mm -hmm. And um, it was like, well, I'm assuming it's making you happier you perceive it solving your problems. Um, it 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 probably gives you some comfort because you feel like you know the right answer for how the clock is made and why it ticks, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. And I was like, my faith experience hasn't given me that since I was about 24 years old. Right. You know, and I didn't really have much of a faith experience until I was 22. So that stage didn't last very long for me. Yeah. And um, I was just reminded of your message in the story because if we bear the image of God, if we're inspired by his certain way of seeing, and then we find out that Jesus is saying, dude, I'm going to suffer. I'm suffering on behalf of you. 
um, Roman rule isn't going to be overthrown, i.e., your identified biggest problem will not be solved in your lifetime. Right. Um, then man, uh, this doesn't give marketers much to work with. No. No, I mean, and even, uh, I, I can't remember if we made reference to this in, in a previous podcast or not, but I mean, in the book of John, uh, this is one of our favorite things about Jesus's ministry is he, is he starts small and peters off, right? Yeah, like it's right. always talking about how people are walking away. Right. And you don't think about it that way. You think Jesus must have, in order to have the impact he's had, he must have had a Joel Osteen-like ministry right. where he spoke to thousands of people and it was always growing and it never didn't grow and it grew exponentially. Right. And that wasn't the case. And that was because the message was hard. Right. It didn't solve the problems. Now, on the other hand, the way to look at that would be Yes, Jesus is not going to solve the problem of Roman rule, but at the same time, he's offering a way of seeing that transcends the culture's primary political issues. Yes, and and I will Roman say, rule was a political issue, right? Right. Yeah, I'm totally getting your connection. Yeah. Um, and the thing that I would say is, uh, is that. Although the things that my friend thought that my faith should be giving me are not necessarily the things that's provided, it doesn't mean that my faith has not provided me an abundant life. Right. Um, or as that passage I did a couple of weeks ago when Jesus said to the woman at the well, hey, if you were in on what I've got for you, there'd be an artesian wellspring of water bubbling up within you. I mean, I get that, Right. Yeah, I think, you know, to that point, there, and this is probably a little bit of a digression, but there are definitely benefits. Yeah. I just don't know that we are clear enough on what they're going to be to promise them. Right. And see, I find that very encouraging. Yeah. So can I tell you a story? Sure. This might be a big digression. So uh, my friend... Uh, Nobody cares. Okay, good. My friend uh, last night was telling me that she went home to her husband and was um, they were trying to figure out what his Enneagram number was because I'm doing this Enneagram class on Monday nights. Right. And uh, they figured out what his stance was. Okay. So he's in the dependent stance. All right. And um, she's like, well, that means you have to be a one, two, or six. And uh, he's like, I know what I am. I'm a drunk, right? He's got long-term. He's in long-term recovery. Okay. Uh, but I love that story so much because um, his faith in his recovery has made it possible for him to not judge himself for that label. In fact... He finds a b band of brother and sisterhood in that name. And the fact that he has sobriety is a point of great gratitude for him. Yeah. So it just, this unique way of seeing that Jesus present, presented us turns the world upside down. Yeah. And really, I think taking it seriously means heals us from our shame and our need to compare and compete which is a huge relief. Yep. So I think that's really what you were getting at. In part, um, 
What else were you trying to communicate? Well, I think, you know, to, to back up, um, I see how, you know, part of our dialogue currently is, is about, uh, a lot of it is about power and misunderstanding power and trying to get your group to win. Part of it is about blame shifting. All of our problems are because the other group is who the other group is. Um, and, you know, we're given, we're given, these messages are reinforced by the things that we're taking in on a daily basis. And a lot of that is the news. And, I, you know, I started out by saying we are just overly attuned to the news right now. And that is dividing us, you know, because we live in a day and age where we have so many news options that each option speaks hyper-specifically to a certain group. And so your messages are always getting reinforced, right? And this may have seemed like a small part of the message to you, but to me it's kind of a big thing, which is, you know, we're getting the messages that we want reinforced by our news outlets and our other media that we consume, and because we're limiting our sources based on our perspective. Right. And and I think this is the crucial part, which is they're telling us the the our various outlets that we choose. They're telling us who cares about us and who doesn't. Yes, I did love that part of the message. As if they know anything about us, as if right. they care about us, as if they care about our lives, as if they care about our loved ones. As if any of them are going to bring a casserole to us when our grandma dies, right? Right. I mean... Or show up at the hospital when somebody has surgery. Right. I mean... None that, of them are going to do that across the spectrum. No. And it's just, you know, for them, it's just rhetoric and they pump it out and they just pump it out so that they can get advertisers. And we're losing family and friend connections we're losing because of our diverse, uh, divisiveness. We're losing community. We're losing family. We're losing friends. Uh, it it is. We are allowing others to tell us. We're we're not only allowing others. We're allowing large corporate conglomerations to tell us what to do with our relationships. If somebody doesn't check the same political boxes as you, they don't care about you. Right. They don't care about your children. They don't care about your future. That isn't right. Yeah. And there's nobody standing up and saying that this isn't right. We are just telling each other how wrong we are. Right. Without even addressing, I don't think this is the sole problem we have by any means, but I think it's a huge problem of just like, oh, gosh, you know, my outlet uh, told me that if somebody doesn't care about X or Y, then they're part of the problem, not part of the solution, and I need to cut them out of my life. Right. And I see that. I see that. Uh, I see that amongst my friends. Um, you know, I think we've been pretty disciplined as a family, so I don't know that I've seen it in my family, but I've seen it in our community. Um, I see it all over the place. And I, I think, you know, being a recovery community helps in that it's a buffer against some of that, but it's not a buffer against all of it. And I, I watch relationships suffer right? Uh, because of, of the way in which we approach these conversations. I would say, you know, back to our family for a second. Yeah. Um, 
we're a big bucket of diversity in our immediate family in terms of our various perspectives, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, we are working very hard to listen to one another, which I quite love. Yep. And um, like I, I could say and encourage other families, do the same thing. Do you remember a few years ago we were on vacation with one of our family members and um, he started out the vacation saying, you know, I love you guys. And I, you know, I don't want anything to stand between the love we have for one another. Right. And uh, that was one of my brothers. And um, I love him for loving us and for having the good sense to know that we're not going to let people we don't even know on either side of the equation tell us whether or not we've been good family to one another or not. Right. And that was, you know, that's what I was trying to remind people of when I said <laughs> it, my my unscientific study tells me that the number one way to know if somebody cares about you is if they care for you. Yeah. And the number one way to know if somebody loves you is if they behave lovingly towards you. Right. And we've cut that out. We haven't even, we're not even giving people a chance to demonstrate their concern for us anymore because we've decided that they have no concern for us if they don't agree with us on an issue. And I think we probably need to check ourselves before we wreck ourselves in misidentifying what caring is. I think that the other thing that this climate, cultural climate that we've in is if you love somebody, you've got to convince them that they're wrong, right? in order to save the world yeah. rather than saying, wait a minute, why don't we just trust each other and be curious and ask questions, uh, but check ourselves and say, are we living by our own core values if we get a little hot under the collar or a little aggressive with how we well, talk and about all the our change, own perspective? All the change has to happen in an instant now, too. It's like... You have to stand up for every possible, like everybody has tons of stances now. Right. Like you, like if you don't have like 25 things that are the most important thing in the world to you, then, you, then you're apathetic. Right. right. And anytime somebody says anything contrary to one of those 25 things, you have to immediately correct them. And hate them. <laughs> and hate them and change their mind right away. Right. There's no perspective in that. Yeah. There's no perspective. And... And and let me be clear, you know, it's not just taking a long view that we need. It's also making room for views that we despise. You know, well, because you have to assume that there are certain views that you despise, that your loved ones are going to hold, that they're never going to not hold. Well, you, you can can't... We, well, hang on. Yeah. Okay. You can't just... Uh, choose to love who you think they're going to become. Right. Or that isn't love, and it's dehumanizing. It's suggesting that the other person doesn't have humanity worth valuing unless they change. And that is wrong. It is wrong. And I don't care who you are. I don't care what your stances are. A person of faith can't believe that. 
you have to be able to make space even for views that are disgusting, even for views that you think are dehumanizing towards you. The call to love and to be sacrificial calls to love people as they are and not who you think you're going to convince them to be. And that is how we misunderstand power. Yes, and can I also add that we ought to be having the realization and the humility to think that our own views over time need to continue to be examined and re-examined because we may, may be the one that needs to change. Of course, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, my 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 views, particularly on, on social things, are, are always changing. Yeah, and, and uh, I think that's as it should be, right? So, um, yeah, well, I just thought the message was um, powerful and impactful, gave me a lot to think about. And um, just is there anything else you want to say about it that you feel like we didn't cover? Well, I, I will say that, you know, probably one of the parts that was most important to me was the fact that I tried to illustrate this it's it's relatively easy to get fired up about a, a conversation that's taking place on a cultural level and to talk about the political sphere, but how I really tried to illustrate this in the message was talking about my relationship with Brittany and how when you're not disciplined in a marriage, um, in terms of pursuing intimacy and, and remembering the big picture and all of that, um, and when you're tired and you're stressed and you have a new baby, all this kind of stuff, you, uh, your, your conflicts can quickly turn into arguments and arguments are things that must be won and they must have winners and losers and you're fighting to gain something. Um, and you don't even always know what that something is. You can have an argument over how you spend a Friday afternoon and you think that if you get to do what you want that Friday afternoon, that you've gained something. But when it comes to having all those arguments, everybody's losing. Right. You know, when it, when it, when it goes from discussion or a disagreement to conflict to argument to winners and losers, you might gain 2% of something on a Friday afternoon, but perhaps you've lost your life. Yeah. You know, over the long haul. You won the battle, but ultimately you lose the war. Yeah. And that's the part that I really wanted people to see is that these Facebook disagreements are not totally innocent. You know the the Facebook arguments and the going back and forth, um, and the and the political conversations, and they have when we learn to argue in this way, when we learn to view the world in this way, in terms of winners and losers, when we learn to exercise power and to try to be strong and to try to get somebody else to submit, it has they have little tendrils that go down uh, from that high level down to the very most personal level. And if we are not careful, we will lose our lives to gain 2%. Yeah. Yeah. That and was, that was a, that's a really the piece that, that's the piece that I think drives it home is we, we think, you know, we can have these conversations about politics or whatever, and we can be pissed off and in relationships and whatever, but at the end of the day, it is what it is, but it seeps down into other things. Yeah. And if we're not paying attention, we're not going to see that. Right. And we're going to lose the things that we hold most dear uh, when we thought we were just losing something that we didn't care that much about. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, I thought that was, uh, the personal application was really great there, too. So, yeah, I mean, I think this is something we really ought to need, we all need to be thinking about. Yeah. Uh, it's not about us and them. Jesus wasn't about comparing and competing. Wasn't about winning. No, the exercise of power is ultimately about uh, service to others. Yeah. Reflecting God's image of love to those around you. Nobody modeled that more than Jesus. Yeah. Nobody gave up more. Um, but also nobody created more. Right. And I think that's what we need to keep in mind. So we need to be thinking about how we think about power. Yep. And probably need to make some changes as I, a result of that. Yeah, that Possibly. Was, that was my thought. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's how I took it, too. Well, this has been fun, son. Enjoyed okay. it. You ready to wrap up? Ready to wrap up. You know, I bet when you're through with this, there's going to be some music involved. There is going to be some music involved. Do you know who that music is going to be from? Um, I was trying to think of what the name of it was, but I know that it's awesome. Blue Dot Sessions. Blue Dot Sessions. Do you know where they can be found? I bet at bluedotsessions.com. It's actually sessions.blue. Well, that was a trick question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's testing to see if you've been paying attention the past few weeks. I've not. Yes. Royalty-free music, courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions, can be found on the web, sessions.blue. We are really grateful to them. If you have stumbled upon this podcast and you don't know anything about us, we are called North Star Community. I'm Scott. I'm Teresa. You can find us on the web at www.northstarcommunity.com. And um, we hope you've enjoyed the podcast. Uh, if you have, let us know. If you haven't, let us know. We are curious, and we are always wanting feedback. We appreciate you. And we're still going to do this because we're just having fun. Yeah, we're going to do it anyway. But, you know, we can always make it better. That's right. All right. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Bye.